Number 280 will be the song of invitation, as Cameron said. Number 280, I have decided to follow Jesus. And hopefully all here this morning have already decided to follow Jesus. But just in case you are here, you have never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would like to encourage you to take advantage of today. All that we have promised is right now. And take advantage of the time to make that decision to follow Jesus and obey him as Lord, submit to his command to believe in him, to repent of your sins, to confess him before men, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins. And then live for him. Make that commitment this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus was the song of it, will be the song of invitation. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews the second chapter, verses 1 through 4. We're going to be using that as our text here in just a moment, drifting, drifting away. Last summer, we took the kids up to Buffalo River to one of our favorite places in the state of Arkansas, Tonka, Arkansas. Uh, Still Creek campsite is where we go and we park. We walk down to the Buffalo River and there's a wonderful place to, to swim for the kids to swim and have fun. And so we take, had taken them up there, and also there's another place just up the road. There's a low bridge. It used to be the main bridge crossing the Buffalo in that part of the estate. And it's a low bridge just right above the water, and the kids love to go there, and they jump off the bridge, and, and there's a nice swimming hole there too. And we had some rafts, and Janara was on this raft. And she was not paying attention to where she was going or what she was doing or anything else apparently around her. First thing I know, I see her drifting. She's going down the river way out of our reach. So luckily there was a man on down the river, and he, she, was, she noticed and all of a sudden she's drifting away. And she starts hollering, and this man runs out in the river and catches her. So Janara is with us this morning, and I'm glad for that. Glad that she didn't drift on down the river and just float all the way down to the White River. That would have been a long ride, but... That's what would happen if someone did not help her. Drifting is something that is dangerous. If you're out in in a boat and you are adrift in the ocean, you're in trouble. Drifting is not a good thing. And the Bible talks about drifting away from the Lord. There are some things that we need to know about drifting, first and foremost... There is no effort, absolutely no effort involved in drifting. Is there Gennaro? None. You just lay back and just let it go. And the water will take you wherever the water is going. Drifting requires no effort. Not easily detectable in the beginning. You don't know that you're drifting. You don't know that you're getting away from safety. You're not aware of your circumstances. Never, you never drift upstream. You never drift upstream. You don't go against the current when you drift. You go with everything. You just float downstream. And when it comes to drifting, as you get further downstream, the speed is going to increase. With a lot of rivers, especially in mountainous regions, when the water begins to pick up speed, that means what? There's a waterfall right up ahead. There's serious danger coming. 
And a lot of times when people drift, they find themselves drifting and they get faster and faster and without being able to control any longer, uh, they become in a panic and they cannot save themselves. Will take us far away. Drifting will always take us further than we intend to go. Sin does that. Sin will always cost us more than we thought we wanted to pay. It will always take us further than we thought we were going to go. Sin is dangerous. Drifting is harmful to others as well. Um, if there's a ship like, was it during the floods this past late early summer on the Arkansas River, remember there were some barges that got loose floating down the river and they were, they were causing some serious, some serious uh, threat to some bridges and dams. And so drifting is harmful to others as well. And I think when we talk about it from a spiritual perspective, it's even more dangerous. The Hebrew writer says in verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receive a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. God's Word has been revealed. It's been presented to us by God Himself. He gave it to us and He confirmed it. He placed His stamp of approval and authenticity upon it. We need to accept it, and we need to hold fast. We need to give the more earnest heed to those things that God has revealed to us. It's like what was read earlier in the Scripture reading by Brother Stevens. The proverb writer in Proverbs chapter 4 encourages his son to retain, to hold fast to his words. Don't forget my words. Do not let my words go. Sadly, we live in a day and time in which many people have indeed forgotten the words of God. They have put God's words out of mind. And thus, people have drifted away. It's very easy to drift away. We have warning after warning in the Scripture of drifting away from God. Maybe not the same metaphor is used. Well, it's not. The same metaphor is not used in all cases. There are different metaphors. There are different warnings, different contexts. But the same issue is dealt with over and over. You go back to chapter 3, or you go ahead to chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. The children of Israel drifted away from God. And because they drifted away from God, they fell in the wilderness. They turned away from God in their hearts. It is a real danger. In chapter 10, again the warning. Those who committed willful sin against God. That didn't happen, by the way, overnight. People drift to the point to where they are willing to just continue in sin, not being afraid of God any longer. In Galatians chapter 5, this problem of going back to the law and succumbing to the pressure to return to the law was real in the days of the apostles. And we have that warning in Galatians chapter 5 as well. And by the way, that's the context of the book of Hebrews. The warning is that you hold fast to Christ and don't drift back into Judaism. 
Don't go back to that carnal system. The children of Israel continued to drift according to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. And as they journeyed through the wilderness, when it came time for them to enter the promised land, only two of those who originally came out above the age of 20, only two of them entered into the promised land. The rest had all left God. In chapter 2, there's something else that's important. Notice there in verse, in verse 2, it says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Here he's talking about the law of Moses. If the law of Moses required punishment for those who broke it, Listen to what he says. How shall we, Christians, escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's talking about what's available in Jesus Christ. What if we neglect the salvation that God has provided in His Son, which the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that's Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him? How dare we not listen to God's Son who suffered and died for us. How dare we not give the more earnest heed to the things that He said. In fact, if you'll turn over to chapter 10 and verse 28, there the Hebrew writer makes this point. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, is no long, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. When you reject Jesus, my friend, you've rejected the only means of salvation that there is. In fact, even further in the book of Hebrews, it's not on the chart, but in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, that's Moses, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? That's Jesus. How will we escape if we reject him? If we reject Jesus Christ, we will be without excuse. And there will be nothing else that can help us. There is no other way of salvation. If we neglect the things of God and the salvation provided in Jesus, which has been revealed, which has been spoken, there is no excuse for us. And of course the consequences will be, we'll all, we're lost. If we reject Jesus Christ, if we drift away from God and drift away from Christ and hold to the things of the world, we will be lost. Yes, these, this passage and many others teach the, the possibility of apostasy. The once saved, always saved doctrine certainly isn't true in light of the Scripture. It's not true. The Bible warns us over and over. What are some warning signs that perhaps we are drifting away? It's possible for us to drift. What are some warning signs? I want to submit some things to you for your consideration. First and foremost, if our hunger for God's Word has diminished, if we are not hungry to feed upon the words of God, that should be a red flag. We need to be hungering for that which gives us spiritual life. If we are not hungry for the Word of God, that tells us that our 
our desires, our focus, our life has shifted away from the things of God to, the, to something else. If we have a diminished zeal for God's work, that is a warning sign that we are drifting. Now, zeal is very important. Zeal without knowledge is very dangerous. But zeal we must have nonetheless. We must be zealous for good works, Titus 2.14. And if, they, if we have a diminished zeal for God's work, is it because we have now focused our attention on other things besides God? A diminished desire to be with God's people when we no longer desire. Someone says, well, the Bible doesn't say I have to attend every service. You know what? You're right. Technically, it doesn't say you have to attend every service. It does not say that you have to attend every Bible class. It does not say that you have to attend both services on Sunday or the Wednesday night service. It doesn't say you have to. It does say that if we forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, we have violated God's will. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is the command. Now, the positive command is found in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10. We are told there that we are to edify one another, to encourage one another unto love and good works. That in and of itself requires that we come together, that we be together. But if we do not desire to be with the people of God, what does that tell you about your attitude towards God? What does that tell you? It's kind of like a hot coal in a fire. What happens if you remove that hot coal from the fire? It cools off. It gets cold. It goes out. That's what happens to a person when he extricates himself from the, from the people of God. Diminished desire to be with God's people. A diminished concern for what is true or what is right. When people began to not think that's a big deal when you're talking about something that God has said. When, when you began even to defend worldliness, ungodliness, error, denominationalism, division in other words. I'll just use the word division. That's against the will of God. When we become less concerned over the things of God and more concerned about the things of the world. That ought to tell us something about where our heart is. An increased thrill over things that are in the world. When we find ourselves enjoying more the things of the world than the things of God, what does that tell you about your heart and your mindset? We're warned not to drift away. These are some warning signs. And there are some dangerous currents that take us away from God and will continue to take us away from God. Many of these things are not bad, certainly in and of themselves. First thing I want to mention to you is time. Nothing wrong with time. We live in time. We have to. It is part of being a human and, and part of living in this material universe. It is set to time. We all have time, and we are all confined by that time. 
But the passing of time can lead us to drift away from God. Let me just submit a couple of thoughts along these lines. First and foremost, when, when you talk about time, we all are limited to what time we have. And so what is so common today is we try to pack so much into the time we have that our schedules are completely stuffed with stuff and it's out of control. We are so busy. We are so busy. Out of control schedules. Now, when we are so busy, we need to stop and think about what we are so busy about. If we are so busy about the things of God, okay. But what if we are so busy with things of the world and that, it, that crowds God out of our schedules? We're not able to attend services like we would like because we put something else there. Or I say... As we like, we, yeah, we would like to go, but you know what? There's something else that we feel apparently is more important. What is more important? What is more important? Shouldn't our schedules be, it's kind of like a budget, you know, shouldn't we be more concerned about those things that are more important? Well, what is more important? Worshiping and serving God? Being with our spiritual family? Or things of the world? Even if those things in and of themselves are innocent things. And we can so cram our schedules full of stuff that we become so busy and hectic in our minds that, listen, that does affect how we think. It takes our focus away from the things of God. It takes our emphasis away from the things of God. And our schedules do indeed, whether we admit it or not, to even to ourselves, our schedules reflect what is most important to us. And when God ceases to be at the center of our scheduling, be assured we are drifting. Be assured. And it's easy to allow that to happen. Also, we tend to do things as human beings over and over again. And things become habit after time passes. And we do these things Long enough, they become our habit. We are creatures of habit. The passing of time can set for us bad habits. We need to be aware of those things. We can grow weary of doing good as time passes. Galatians 6 and verse 9. Do not become weary in doing good. Yes, we can grow weary, tired. How many of you have worked for the Lord to the point you have gotten tired? We, we, I think most all of us have experienced that. We've done what we're supposed to be doing. We've done it a lot. There's nothing wrong with being tired. There is something wrong with quitting. We cannot give up. We need to re-energize ourselves. We need to be encouraged to keep on. We can begin to rest on our past accomplishments and say, you know, I've done enough. I've done all this good. It's time for me to stop and let somebody else have it. And it's good that somebody else take up and do the things that they ought to be doing. That needs to be done too. 
And maybe people are too busy in their schedules to take upon themselves to do the things that God would have them to be doing. We need people in this congregation to do things. And you ask Benny. We need people to do things. He's always looking for someone to fill in here and fill in there. We need Bible class teachers. We need, we need song leaders. We need people who are willing to, to work and support that work and to do the things that is necessary for our services to be pleasing to the Lord. Preparing the Lord's Supper. Shirley has done that for years and years. She needs help sometimes. I'm sure she does. She doesn't say much about it, but I'm sure she would appreciate it. What are we doing that we can help? Um, we can never say, you know, all the good I've done, I've done, I've done enough. We can never say that. The passing of time, we can come, become complacent. And we can be like the church in Ephesus, leave our first love. The passing of time. Be concerned about that. Think about it. Be careful about the direction that we are going. We need to think constantly about that. Dissatisfaction. You know, people become dissatisfied pretty quickly. Um, the danger of becoming dissatisfied with God's ways is perhaps the most dangerous wrong attitude that we can have. When we allow ourselves to become dissatisfied with God's way, Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old past where the good way is and walk therein and you will find rest for your souls. Those people said to Jeremiah, we will not walk in it. Much like people today. They don't care about God's ways. They do not care about the old past. They are dissatisfied with that. That ain't good enough. People desire to be liked. And they are dissatisfied with being, you know, discredited or looked down upon or, you know, always misrepresented. And we become dissatisfied, kind of like the children of Israel. They were not satisfied with God's order of things. God had placed judges over them. But the people came to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5 and demanded a king so that they could be like the nations round about. Those in the Lord's church can become dissatisfied with the Lord's way because it's not like what everybody else is doing. For good reason, by the way, but we don't see that good reason. We see what everybody else is doing. We see how they are worshiping. And look at the large crowds that they're getting. Look at the, look at the people that are showing up at these, uh, these worship settings that they're having where rock and roll music is being played and they throw in some words. You can't understand what they're saying, but it's supposed to be something about Jesus. And we become dissatisfied with God's way of worship. God's way is simple. It is. It's not like the world's way. It's God's way. Are we satisfied with God's way? The dangerous push for change. 
Some people are just not satisfied. I don't care what you do. They'd be unhappy regardless. But many people, they just won't change. You know what? If something needs to be changed, let's change it. But of course, we cannot change God's Word. So therefore, that does not need to be changed. We cannot, we cannot change God's pattern. It doesn't need to be changed. It will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. It may not accomplish what we want it to accomplish, but it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. We cannot change the organization of the church, the work of the church, the worship that we engage in. We can't change those things if we're following God's will. Now, if we're not following God's will, we need to change. But many people, they just want to change. They just want to change to change. They're not satisfied with God's way. It is extremely dangerous to allow our faith to be navigated by how we feel. Many people have that emotion-based faith, not faith-based emotion. Their, their emotion, how they feel, determines what they're going to believe. Many have left the Lord's church because of how they felt. They, from their perspective, the church did them wrong. Oh yeah, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. But the church didn't treat them right in their mind. And that could be true in many cases, I guess. Brethren don't always do what they're supposed to do. But because we're angry, we just leave the truth altogether? That doesn't make sense. That's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. A lot of people do that. We need to hold on to what God says. Let us be satisfied with God's way. Let us trust Him. Another thing, another dangerous current is all the distractions around us. Um, there are so many things going on many times. We, we hear it, you know, when it comes to driving, for example, distracted driving, how dangerous that is. Don't text and drive, right? There are so many things that distract us. It's not very uncommon to be driving down the freeway and looking over to the person beside you and they've got one knee up on the wheel and they've got makeup, putting on makeup and have a French fry in their left hand and they're trying to drive with their knee and they're trying to do all that and answer the phone at the same time. That's kind of dangerous, isn't it? That's the way, though, many people just live their lives in general. Even when it comes to spiritual things. We have so many irons in the fire, we really cannot be focused on the things of God. We cannot have our mind trained upon the things and focused on the things that we need to be focused on. It's easy to be caught up in the distractions and not worshiping in spirit and truth. The world's allurements can be very distracting. 1 John 2, 15-17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now those things may not be wrong in and of themselves, but when we put anything, anything besides God, above God, or equal with God, or where it takes away from our service to God, we have done wrong. And of course Satan is more than happy to throw all the stuff he can at us. He is more than happy to distract us as much as possible. We need to focus. That's the point of Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. 
Lay your treasures up in heaven. You need to have your eyes single. And you need to be loyal to one master. Where's your focus? Constant temptation certainly can be distracting. We have temptation all around us, especially in our modern age of technology. We have it everywhere. Materialism, the here and now, we have it. And that perhaps is Satan's greatest advantage that he has over us is that he tempts us through the things we can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch instead of things we can't. You see, God's promises are things we cannot see, hear, smell, taste, or touch. Those are the things that are eternal that are beyond this temporary world. We have to trust God and hold on to His promises. All the things that Satan tempts us with are right here in front of us, right now. So you can have a little bit of fun, if you want to call that fun, right now, and forfeit your eternal salvation. How foolish that is, but many people do that. Our daily concerns, there are always things popping up. Always something. It's always something. It's either your car messes up, you don't expect it. Um, maybe it's an accident, maybe that's a health issue, a health problem. There are always these daily concerns that pop up that need our attention. We're told in Philippians 4 and verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Uh, we need to keep our focus on the things of God. Does that make sense? We need to keep our focus upon the things of God. Another current, social pressure. The world around us is trying to press us into its mold, into its image. We are bombarded day by day through TV, radio, the internet. The things that you listen to, the things that you watch on your television. We were talking about in Bible class this morning. What comes into your mind goes into your heart. It goes into your mind. You feed your mind with junk, and junk is what's going to be made up, making up your thinking. And junk is what's going to be coming out in your actions. Garbage in, garbage out. And when we are bombarded with all of this stuff on a regular daily basis, it will negatively affect us. The danger of a little leaven, false doctrine, false thinking is dangerous. And it can permeate through the rest of our thoughts and completely destroy our faith in God. Of course, the social pressure from those that are outside, from the world, is always there. There's a constant push, there's a constant pull from the world to think, to speak, and to act like the world. Sometimes you hear the phrase, politically correct. I've never been a politically correct guy, and that's okay by me. I don't care whether I'm politically correct or not. But when it comes to spiritual matters, even more so, I need to be godly. I need to be spiritually correct, not politically correct. Listen, there are a lot of politics in religion. You know that, don't you? 
And we are not to talk like the spiritual world around us, like the false teachings that are around us, like the false churches that are so prevalent. We're not to talk like that. We're not to act like that. But there is a constant pull from the world to speak, to act like, to think like the world. We must remain different. Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I must demonstrate in my daily life my renewed mindset that I have received through my adherence to the Word of God. I cannot allow myself, my thinking, to be molded into the shape of the world. Many people have allowed the world to impress their thinking upon their minds. And so they come up with these dumb ideas, like, well, there's really no such thing as absolute truth. They come up with these dumb ideas like, well, nobody can know what the truth is anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Those are dumb ideas. And it's the way the world thinks. We must resist the temptation to compromise at all cost. Discouragement. Discouragement is also a dangerous current. Let me tell you how. When we become discouraged, it's easy to hold on to that and allow that flow to continue on and take us to a place spiritually that we have no business being in as children of God. And that is into a place of anger, into a place of resentment, into a place of bitterness, and to, into a place of doubt when it comes to God. And we're just unhappy. We feel unblessed. The things already mentioned, all of those things combined, the time you know, and doing good and we get tired, uh, how we feel because we're persecuted, we're misrepresented, or because just the way that we're treated, or maybe there's something that we want to do that we know God won't allow us to do. We become dissatisfied and we're distracted by all the things around us and the social pressures, and we can easily become discouraged by all of this. We cannot allow our discouragement to destroy our zeal for God. Again, this is an easy problem to find ourselves in, isn't it? How many of us have ever been discouraged? I think all of us have been. And many times it's discouragement because we're wanting to do what's right. And we're not getting the encouragement to do what's right from others and it's discouraging in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 3 the Hebrew writer says for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls in the context the Hebrew writer is talking about the suffering of Jesus in verses 2 and 3 and also the suffering of all those great witnesses in chapter 11 and so think about all of the suffering that they have gone through Consider Jesus himself. He endured hostility from sinners. He was crucified. In other words, as, as he says in verse 2, look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
You need to keep your eye on Jesus. It's easy to be discouraged by all the things that are going on. Look to Jesus. Therefore, strengthen the hands. Look down to verse 12 of Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. Verse 12 says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down. That's describing someone who is tired and weary. And the feeble knees, he's tired. And make straight paths for your feet. Now, you've got to keep your eye. In other words, there's a path in front of you that's straight and narrow. And it's the way of God. That's the path you must take. So that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. In other words, there is a disease, a sickness that you have contracted, if you will. And those around you. And that disease or that sickness is discouragement. Now, you've got a choice to make. Are you going to continue to allow that to destroy you? Or will you stay in the way of God and allow Him to heal you? In verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. If you fall away, you become a victim, if you will, of discouragement and you allow that to lead you away from God here's the problem you're going to affect others no one sins in a vacuum and no one drifts away from God without affecting negatively those who are around them we cannot allow discouragement even if we are discouraged we cannot allow that to get us down and to keep us down because if that keeps us down, then our discouragement will also be discouraging to others. We have to keep going. We have to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off and get back into the things that God would have us to be doing. And finally, abundance. Being in Africa for three weeks, again, a I've been out of the country before into a third world country, and it's an eye-opening experience. Being in Africa was, again, an eye-opening experience. People over there do not have what we have. The poorest person here this morning, the most impoverished person here this morning, and I don't know who you are, I don't know, but I'll say this to you. I met some people in Africa who were doing well from African standards who have less than you do. And that is the truth. The 1%, if you have enough to eat and a place to lay your head at night, then you know what? You are one of the one percenters. 1% 1 of the world's population has enough to eat and a place to sleep. You're one of the one percenters. And we can allow, and Satan's more than willing to allow us to have enough that we forget God. And sadly, that for many people, that's exactly what happens. We are warned over and over in Scripture about the danger of loving money. Now, money in and of itself is not sin. But there is great danger. 
in money. There is great danger in wealth and prosperity. Great danger. And we need to understand that. Yes, a rich man can be saved. Jesus himself says that, yes, with God all things are possible. But in reality, as he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. That's what Jesus said. So how do we prevent drifting? It's not good enough just to, to show you that there's a problem and hopefully allow people to recognize that, yes, you know, I personally have a problem and I, I can see that. What do we do about it? First of all, for those who are not drifting, we need to prevent ourselves from drifting. We need to remain anchored in the things. Going back to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, giving the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. We need to hold tightly to God's Word. We need to get grounded in God's Word. You need to study it. You need to read God's Word daily, regularly. You need to feed upon God's Word. That needs to be your most important meal of the day. Stay anchored by holding fast to God's Word. Don't let go of what God says. You hold on to God says. Listen, as, as Romans chapter 3 and verse 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. You hold on to what God says, regardless. You stay anchored in that. And you remain anchored by keeping your focus on Jesus and what he says. And following him. Humbly submitting to Jesus Christ, as Hebrews chapter 12 says. And by the way, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, emphasizes looking to Jesus. Consider him who suffered for us. But then he talks about being disciplined. God disciplines his children. Don't let his discipline discourage you. That's what Hebrews 12 is all about. But rather submit to him. Hear Jesus and do what he says and humbly submit to our Lord. Give all diligence to grow spiritually. You have to give diligence. Listen, this is just the opposite of drifting. It's just the opposite of floating downstream. You're giving all diligence to grow spiritually. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. And we are to give all diligence to remain at peace with God in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. The day of the Lord is coming. Jesus is coming back, and you need to be found in Him in peace. And it's worth you giving everything you've got to be right with God. Everything you've got. Be diligent. Put on the whole armor of God. These are three passages if you were to just take, take these three passages and keep them in mind at all times, you need to grow, diligently grow, adding to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, patience, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity. Add those things to your faith, and you'll grow, and you won't drift away. You won't stumble. You won't fall. We need to search the Scriptures daily. As Jesus told his disciples in Mark 14, 38, watch and pray. They couldn't watch with him for one hour. They all went to sleep. As Jesus is in agony in the garden, he goes off and he prays and he comes back and they're all asleep. That's discouraging to Jesus. But he encourages them, watch and pray. We're to edify one another because, listen, this world is harsh. It's cruel. Life itself is difficult. We need to encourage each other. 
to hold each other up, to bear up one another, to be sober and vigilant ourselves. We need to make sure that our thinking is right and always resist Satan. We need to be vigilant in our service to God and we just need to keep pressing forward as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. I press toward the goal, to the high calling of Jesus Christ. Paul recognized that the things that he had done were not good enough. The thing, all the things that I'm going to do will not be good enough. But I must keep pressing toward the goal. Just the opposite of drifting. We've talked about how the dangerous currents of time and dissatisfaction, distraction, social pressure, discouragement, and abundance, all these things can be problems for us. And there are some other things I'm sure that we can come up with. But we need to use our time wisely. We need to use it for God. And instead of being dissatisfied, we need to be content with all things. Be content with the blessings that God has given us in Christ. And let us be focused on those blessings and His promises. Instead of letting the distractions cloud our focus, let us keep our eye on the goal. And instead of social pressure, let's fear God. What can man do to me? He may cut off my head, but he cannot destroy my soul. Let us fear God. And let us hold on to God by trusting Him, having faith, loving Him, and love others. And hope, we place our confidence in His promises. And don't allow discouragement to distract us from our goal. And abundance, let us enjoy spiritual wealth, the blessings we have in Christ. If we truly understood what we have in Christ Jesus, uh, nothing could take us away. Nothing would. We would not allow that to happen. My friend, there are only really two choices in life. Only two paths to travel. We're either going to travel that straight and difficult way or we're going to travel the broad way. Now the broad way is the way of drifting. Enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. That's the easy way. That's the way that you just drift along. The end is destruction. Or we can choose to go uh, the narrow gate. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few that find it. Be one of those. Let us not be guilty of drifting away from God but let us hold tightly to His will and let us follow it with all our strength and rest in our, our confidence and our hope in Him and let Him help us. If you're here this morning you've never rendered obedience to the gospel, why not now? Why not today? Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You need to be baptized into Christ. Now's the day. If you need to come back to Christ and stop drifting, please make that commitment and that decision today. We can help you. God can help you, and He will. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while we stand? While we stand.